Here we are in episode 13 of uh, Slice of Life Sciences. Um, joining me today, who's looking at the camera and ready to go, is uh, Roger Frechet, who is a life science consultant and advisor. Um, he helps early stage companies succeed and grow. Um, his work leverages or his work with his clients leverages ex his extensive global network, um, multidisciplinary insights that he's derived over the past 20 years of experience um, working in the business of life sciences. So Roger, thank you so much for um, joining us on Slice Up today. Well, thank you, David, and delighted to be here uh, with you and, and uh, you know, sharing bits of my background with, with you and the uh, Slice of Life Sciences audience. We appreciate that. And um, we're excited today because given your uh, number of, the, especially the most recent guests we've had on the show, um, our early stage founders, executives um, that have joined as guests, and that's actually how you and I met was through a mutual client of ours. We thought it'd be great to learn about the work you're doing, um, the work you've done for these exact types of companies that are coming on the show, but also listening to the show. Um, so I thought it'd be good to kind of just start not too far back, but far back, just to get your background a little bit um, leading into what you're doing today, um, because I think it's impactful for obviously the Boston biotech ecosystem and beyond. Um, so I guess just to, to kick it off, and I, I don't want to go from the beginning, beginning, but you've worked in biotech your entire career. Um, so I guess out of curiosity, what motivated you to kind of get into biotech? And also, how did you make your way to Boston specifically? Well, I have to, to answer that. I have to step back to to the the, uh, the beginning. Uh, and at the risk of dating myself, uh, uh, that's because there wasn't really a biotech industry when I get started. Uh, so like when I was in graduate school, there were maybe four companies that people called biotechnology companies, but the, it wasn't really the norm. Uh, and, uh, you know, the pharmaceutical industry was in New Jersey. So everything that I was doing was heading toward New Jersey. Uh, and about the time my postdoc wrapped up, uh, you know, Vertex was being founded. And that sign mm -hmm. seemed kind of interesting. It was even more interesting to me because there's a, a few people that I knew who were involved with, with launching Vertex. So you know, like Max Tischler had been a uh, president of uh, R&D at Merck and uh, corporate vice president. Uh, he retired to be a, uh, uh, a faculty member at uh, Wesleyan University where I was doing graduate work. Uh, and he was a close mentor and advisor to, to me and other graduate students. He was also an advisor to uh, the Vertex founding team uh, as they were you know, poaching people from Merck to get the company started. Um, and you know, being an influential guy, uh, uh, Max was uh, was able to to bring in a lot of interesting speakers to to uh, present to the, to the graduate school and. Uh, included a lot of luminaries in industry and academia, but also other uh, ambitious younger folks like Josh Boger, and, uh, who was also a Wesleyan graduate, and uh, Manuel Navia, and uh, you know, other people I met at, uh, at Yale, for example, uh, Mark Marco and David Armistead, who were part of the early Vertex team. 
uh, uh, I was still a kid from, from northern New Hampshire and didn't really get the notion that you could actually start a biotech company I mean, that, uh, or, or a pharmaceutical company. That just seemed uh, outlandishly out of reach. <laughs> but it did start, you know, with the familiarity. It did start settling in a bit of a kernel of the idea. You know, maybe I'll go out and learn something and then start something. Uh, so, you know, I started out as a chemist at, at uh, Johnson Johnson. Uh, and while I, I really wasn't uh, cut out for, for the big pharma uh, world, or at least that big pharma, uh, I found that the, the greatest enjoyment I had in the work was uh, in interactions with the uh, uh, interdisciplinary colleagues, uh, folks in biology, pharmacology, uh, process chemistry, uh, you know, and gained a lot of interesting experience working in different therapeutic areas like cardiovascular, inflammation, uh, antibacterial areas, reproductive uh, uh, pharmacology. Um, and that was great. But then I moved to, to a, a biotech company. Uh, I moved across to, uh, to the Bay Area in, in uh, San Francisco, worked for a company called Ribogene. There, uh, built and led the uh, chemistry group and got involved in project leadership for uh, a couple of multidisciplinary projects uh, and uh, strategic alliance management for the uh, Japanese company that was funding these projects. Um, mm -hmm. Company had also gone public uh, shortly after I got there. So I was uh, doing uh, presentations to the board of directors and speaking with uh, Wall Street analysts. So gaining some really interesting insights and experience for all these guys. Uh, after a couple of years, the company did a, a reverse merger to, uh, to form uh, a new company called QuestCore, which was not doing research, uh, focusing on marketed, marketed products, products. Uh, so I moved to the Boston area. That was uh, just at the turn of the century. I started at Paratech Pharmaceuticals in, in January 2000, I was something like the uh, 20th employee. Um, and there I was managing uh, multidisciplinary project teams uh, uh, in the antibacterial space and also uh, in charge of the uh, strategic partnership that the company had with uh, Glaxo Welcome, which had been their, their initial uh, financing. So you know, that was the beginning of it. Uh, and so then after, I mean, I imagine through Johnson & Johnson all the way to Paratech, like you just mentioned, you gained tons of experience doing a whole lot. And I guess what pivoted you to deciding to become an entrepreneur yourself? And I think you were alluding to it a little bit by saying maybe the large pharma wasn't necessarily for you or that particular large pharma. Um, but I know that when you co-founded your first company, you were responsible for chemistry strategy, R&D ops. You were overseeing hiring. Um, kind of management of outsourced R&D vendors, so a whole lot of things. So just super interesting um, piece of the journey. So just wondered if you could tell us a little bit about that venture and the company's journey story. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, the, the one thing that became clear to me in, in moving to, to the biotech space is uh, you know, it's much smaller, much nimbler organizational format, and and it makes it a lot easier to to have a picture in your mind of what you're actually contributing to. You can see every day that you're doing something that's that's uh, contributing to the progress uh, of of a uh, an interesting asset or project that's heading toward a, a product. Uh, 
And uh, so, you know, following Paratech, I was there for a couple of years. Uh, you know, it was a very successful period. I and mean, the discovery teams that I've been leading uh, had successfully non nominated a candidate. Uh, and there was another one uh, coming up close behind. Uh, and I took on leadership of the uh, uh, virtual preclinical development uh, uh, program for the first candidate, uh, which eventually became uh, New Zero uh, after uh, FDA approval. Um, there were there were interesting challenges. So I mean, I'd been I'd been managing the corporate collaboration that was now under a lot of strain uh, due to the uh, Glaxo Welcome uh, Smith Klein Beecham merger to form GSK, and I really wasn't envisioning myself uh, leading a, a clinical development program. So uh, it was time to try something else. Um, and you know, the segue to to starting uh, uh, a biotech startup. Uh, I didn't try to look for a job, I tried consulting. So consulting version one. Uh, and I was basically offering up uh, my successful drug R&D experience to what was now a growing biotech community. And as it turns out, my second and final client was uh, Genome Therapeutics. Uh, this was mm -hmm. a, a Waltham-based uh, anti-infectives uh, biotech company. Uh, the R&D was headed up by uh, Richard Labordiniere, who, uh, who had been a rising star at uh, Rompont, Rohrer, and Aventis, both companies that uh, have been gobbled up into bigger entities. Um, and he's probably more locally known for uh, as being the CEO of FoldRx, an astonishingly successful uh, biotech uh, in its own right that was acquired by Pfizer. Um, the head of discovery for, for uh, Genome Therapeutics was Anya Knapp. Um, so I had been brought in by both of them to to help solve a sticky problem that they had in their hit to lead process, and just as uh, the uh, uh, solution was resolving itself, uh, after a few months, uh, the company decided to wrap up uh, R and D operations to uh, uh, form uh, reform itself as Ossient and focus on a uh, uh, approved product that they had licensed in. Uh, that's when I got together with uh, Onion App. We negotiated a license to uh, uh, to the the entire drug discovery platform uh, and dropped it into a new startup that we called Maxthera. Uh, again, focused on uh, antibacterial uh, uh, drug discovery. Um, we also recognized that antibacterial discovery was kind of out of favor with both uh, investors and the pharma industry, uh, but we thought it would come back into favor within a few years, mostly because of the growth uh, of, of concern regarding antibiotic resistance. Um, and of course that concern continues unabated uh, to this date. Uh, but we funded the company with grants. Uh, we were uh, among the first BioShield grant uh, recipients from what was to become the Homeland Security Department and uh, also got a couple of advanced technology grants from the uh, NIAID at NIH and proceeded to carry on with a very lean semi-virtual operation. Um, it was kind of a natural segue for me because uh, I'd done the preclinical development program at, at Paratech as, as a almost completely virtual operation. Uh, company didn't have any, um, any preclinical development capabilities in-house. We brought in a, a regulatory director who helped uh, start up the uh, quality systems. Uh, but it ended up being a, a globally uh, distributed outsourced uh, operation that had me flying to Europe a lot 
um, and uh, spending a lot of time on the phone and with email, which was still kind of a new thing back then. <laughs> um, and uh, it worked really well. Uh, so, you know, before virtual was a thing with the investor community, uh, we started Max Thera as a semi-virtual, you know, highly capital efficient company. It was incubated within uh, Inatech Pharmaceuticals, which is uh, uh, another uh, uh, pharmaceutical company, biotech company that was up in uh, Beverly uh, in the Cummings Center. We shared an office space with Smart Cells, which uh, might be familiar to uh, folks in the Boston area. Um, and we had, you know, fully equipped lab space that we didn't have to pay for other than uh, our monthly rent. And, you know, the fundamental principle for, for running the company was, you know, use money for research, not for decor, and proceeded with that very limited budget. Uh, you know, the management was bare bones. Uh, we surrounded ourselves with advisors, consultants, um, external legal resources, uh, everything we needed to make the company uh, run effectively. Um, and with my prior experience with outsourcing, uh, albeit with a, with a few false starts uh, in Max there, settled on working with uh, uh, some fellow local entrepreneurs uh, in the services industry. I'm we were one of the first customers for Creagen Biosciences, uh, a, uh, a Woburn-based uh, medicinal chemistry and synthetic chemistry uh, uh, vendor. Uh, we were also among the first customers for uh, Apredica, a pharmacology and safety biology uh, company in uh, Watertown that's now part of Ciprotex. Um, and you know, at the time, there weren't too many options for outsourcing things like microbiology or enzymology. So we had to hire a few scientists. Uh, and that turned out to be a, a fairly straightforward process as well. I and mean, we found an amazing microbiologist who was doing relatively uninteresting work to her at, a, at another startup. Um, and because there weren't a lot of companies doing uh, antimicrobial discovery work, she jumped at the chance to work with us and was able to start on very short notice. Another scientist that we landed had been part of the core biochemistry team at uh, Genome Therapeutics a few years earlier. Uh, she was a major contributor to the lead assets in our portfolio. Uh, she had taken a job at Genzyme after Ossient was formed, and you know, we lured her away with our location because Inatech was in Beverly. Uh, you know, we had uh, uh, we had an opportunity to to address one of her key needs. I mean, they're interested in in starting a family, uh, but couldn't afford anything bigger than the studio apartment within commuting distance yeah. of Genzyme. Um, and uh, moved to Max Thera in Beverly and had a house with three bedrooms and a nice big backyard, 10 minutes away from our international headquarters. Uh, so, and you know, throughout the operation of, uh, of Max Thera, uh, I was working with Anya and with our advisors to uh, introduce our work to investors, pharma companies and big biotechs and you know basically building relationships and looking for new investment opportunities and co-development partners all uh, throughout the process. So how did uh, how did it all end with Max there? Uh, I guess was there an exit and then how did this segue into you mentioned consulting you said consulting version 1. How did it get into consulting version 2? Yeah, well consulting version 2 derived from a gradual evolution of the exit uh, from Max Thera. So by mid to late 2007, we realized that we were going to need uh, 
some some additional funding. Uh, and if you recall that time period, uh, yep. yeah, you probably start to smile a little bit. Uh, so <laughs> what turned out is starting to secure additional funding uh, became uh, an opportunity for an exit. Uh, you know, there, there was going to be a slight opening of a window of interest in antibacterial R&D funding, uh, but it wasn't going to be for another couple of years. So it was too late for us. The economy crashed out from under us. But in that uh, bit of a crisis, we gained a really powerful lesson in the strength and merits of, of networking. Our, uh, our business uh, uh, advisor, who is uh, based in uh, the south of England, was at, uh, at the bio uh, partnering event in uh, San Diego, uh, where he met an Australian uh, banker who was working for uh, an LA-based investment bank. He had partners in Hong Kong and Western Australia, and he was really eager to try his hand at uh, uh, biotech financing and deal-making. Um, so, you know, long story short, uh, by early 2010, we had uh, been acquired by Biota Holdings, a Melbourne, Australia-based company that uh, was the originator of uh, the uh, flu drug, uh, Relenza, that was sold by uh, GSK for, uh, for some time. Um, about the same time, Biota had also acquired Prolysis, an Oxford, England-based uh, biotech company, also in the antibacterial space. And they asked us to consult with them uh, to help fold these assets into their portfolio. Uh, by mid-2011, when the work with Biota had wrapped up, we provided our lab space to the North Shore Interventures founders to help launch their biotech incubator. Uh, I served briefly as an entrepreneur in residence with the NSIV and started looking for new clients. Uh, you know, the early days in consulting started with uh, you know, some mentoring activities, some formal uh, and ad hoc programs uh, uh, through uh, networking and uh, meeting people uh, and along the way I helped to uh, launch the Creation uh, Chemistry Incubator at the uh, kind of a, a spin out from the Creation Biosciences. Um, for some time, I put heads together with a local professor uh, to spin out a new biotech uh, called Frontera that was uh, centered around a really interesting approach to treating acute respiratory distress syndrome. Uh, that turned out to be a bit ahead of its time and we weren't able to get it financed. Um, and, you know, throughout this, I was realizing that, you know, still hadn't been an experienced uh, consultant yet, uh, but realized that mentoring for free and founding unfunded startups uh, was really fascinating and lots of fun, but did little to pay bills uh, and uh, learned that uh, landing paid contracts required a, a really dedicated effort to purposeful networking and leveraging relationships in my uh, network to uh, uh get referrals. Uh, so that's effectively been the path to uh, to all of my work over the last 10 to 12 years, uh, where uh, as a consultant, I've worked with a, a wide variety of companies spanning the uh, life sciences sectors uh, in areas ranging from uh, drug delivery technologies, organs on chips, diagnostics, specialty chemistry methodologies for manufacturing, and uh, and of course, also in therapeutics R&D. Uh, so I recently concluded a four-year engagement 
with uh, GrowBio, a synthetic biology spin-up from the George Church Lab that's developing novel protein yeah. therapeutics. You know, really cool science. They're teaching E. coli and other uh, microbes to to express proteins with uh, uh, non-standard amino acids in the backbone that can do interesting uh, uh, custom activities. Um, you know, my work with them uh, got GrowBio to the stage of justifying a, a full-time CBO before moving on. Um, you know, the current client I'm spending most of my time with is Concerto Biosciences. So. MIT Broad spin-up, developing a really fascinating proprietary platform for uh, uh, novel micro microbiome modulating products. Um, this is targeting therapeutics as well as other business sectors. Uh, so you know, it's been it's been really interesting and diverse, uh, and uh, you know uh, certainly uh, continuing. Yeah. Do you typically, or I guess, do you sometimes? act as more of a fractional executive or kind of lead, like you mentioned about grow leading up to them finding someone to come on as a CBO. And I guess with that, are there specific services that you traditionally have worked or done more in the past, whether it's business development or anything else? Yeah, I, I think there hasn't really been a typical, uh, it, it would be kind of interesting if there were, uh, I suppose, but uh, the typical is the atypical yeah. <laughs> I, in principle, uh, as a consultant, I can offer services that, that relate to any of the multiple hats I've worn through the years, but in practice, uh, the most common, uh, needs that I tend to address, uh, with clients are, are involving strategy and business development. Uh, so, yeah, as you've mentioned, I have a strong background as a scientist. You know, worked in R&D from earliest stages of discovery to clinical trials, uh, layering that experience onto business background that's encompassed uh, startup foundation to exit, uh, strategic partnerships, uh, uh, management. You know, it, uh, it gives an opportunity uh, with these dual experiences uh, as a scientist and a business executive to, to focus on bridging business and science. Um, so. You know, with clients, I'm, I'm certainly never going to be doing their science, but I can quickly gain a functional understanding of their work, which gives a lot of uh, yeah. leverage to, to doing different things with them. So depending on the company's needs, I can help them with uh, optimizing their written and oral presentations uh, for investors or partnerships. So if needed, I can help optimize their business plan uh, or help assess uh, the assets in their portfolio. Uh, you know, with companies that have their R&D strategy in a good place, you know, my work uh, might focus more on helping them to build relationships with prospective business partners and uh, as needs arise, uh, you know, help them negotiate closed business deals. And how have you, just out of curiosity, how have you historically or in the past recent found clients? Is it through the network you've built over the years and then referrals? Yeah, all of my client engagements, uh, uh, without exception, have derived from from uh, my network and referrals from my network. Uh, so, you know, the way that it, that it works is, you know, I'm naturally curious about innovative solutions to 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 problems, and generally optimistic about the, the capacity that smart humans have for translating innovative science and uh, 
to uh, novel products. And so that makes it easy to engage in conversations. Um, uh, that's not to say that that uh, every conversation leads to a contract, right? So uh, you know, I have a lot more interesting conversations than I have uh, closed engagements. Uh, and you know, some some client contracts uh, happen you know within a few weeks of meeting somebody. Others, you know, a year or more. Um, and some just end up. Uh, some conversations just end up being uh, you know another part of the network uh, or some kind of a mentoring relationship. And what what do you like most about working with some of these early stage companies? Well, I had alluded to it earlier. You know, I left. I left Big Pharma primarily to get into the faster-paced world of biotech. You know, it's, it's, it's extremely gratifying and satisfying to have a role where you can see on a day-to-day -day basis uh, what you're doing that's clearly progressing uh, an innovative concept toad or product that meets a medical need, something that's, that's going to help people. Um, and throughout my entrepreneurial journey, you know, I've encountered, you know, countless extraordinary uh, helpful mentors and advisors. Um, and as a mentor and a consultant, I've also had the opportunity to you know, effectively pay it forward, contributing to the success of the next generation of sometimes scary smart entrepreneurs. And you know, through it all, still experiencing the thrill of that fast paced uh, progress toward interesting products. And I know you're, you're obviously embedded in the entrepreneurial ecosystem here. I noticed you were uh, vice chair of the life sciences for Boston on, I think it's called Boston Entrepreneurs Network. Um, what is, can you just give us a quick background on what that network is and what sort of events get togethers? Um, you've been yeah, doing? sure. Thanks for asking about that. ENET is one of my pet <laughs> projects. Uh, so ENET is a, uh, an entrepreneur education organization. Uh, it was started in 1991 as uh, an IEEE uh, special interest group. Uh, we currently do 20 events per year and uh, our program is organized as kind of a startup uh, mini MBA program. Uh, so each event features a presentation or a panel discussion on, on a, a specific topic of importance for tech, uh, biotech based entrepreneurship. Um, and each event starts and ends with networking, which we consider to be essential tools of the trade. Uh, we also offer an opportunity for nascent uh, entrepreneurs to practice their, their elevator pitch. We call it the E-Minute, uh, which is uh, uh, the E-Minute segment, rather. It's a 90-second uh, pitch in front of a live, generally friendly audience, uh, with, uh, which includes constructive feedback offered by the event's expert speakers. Um, Importantly, we wrap up each calendar year with the entrepreneurship. This is our annual Boston Harbor cruise that features great food, usually uh, well in excess of 200 people on board and enforced networking. Wow. Uh, that is, uh, once we set sail, even the most reluctant networkers on, on board have nowhere to go, so they might as well talk to somebody. <laughs> um, and I know that... Uh... Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. I know. I know when we we got coffee a couple of weeks ago, and you, and you mentioned that you'd also been doing uh, mentoring for some entrepreneurs. Is that kind of as part of the ENet, or is that? 
just more on an informal basis, kind of separate from the more formal consulting services you offer. Yeah, the the mentoring that I do is uh, um, it's it's a mix. I'm some of it is is very informal mentoring with with entrepreneurs I meet while networking through Enet online. Um, most often, though, it's been done through uh, formal programs that are offered by uh, local uh, institutions. So I've I've done uh, formal mentoring uh, with with uh, organizations like MassBio, Boston University, Mass Tech Transfer Center. Uh, recently, I started contributing to new programs that have been put in place at Lab Central and uh, at UMass Lowell's uh, M2D2 uh, incubator program. Uh, you know, taking taking this up and looking at the kind of thing that I've been doing with clients uh, as uh, as a consultant, I've also started exploring ways to help early stage companies with with a more formal advisory role. So, uh, you know, while I, I'm I'm happy to join uh, uh, a startup advisory board, uh, what I'm thinking here is more like a a, a retained advisor role, or or perhaps more like a a founder coach. Uh, you know, executive coaches are, are all over the place uh, now. It's a big business, but I'm thinking that that you know, uh, new new executives uh, in in the entrepreneurial space could use some of this help as well. Uh, so that would involve uh, you know periodic meetings, on call helper advice. You know, basically helping an entrepreneur to help themselves in the early days of their startup with a level of engagement that might be higher than what. Uh, uh, a typical mentor uh, can yeah. can provide, but that's not quite at the level of uh, a formal fractional executive engagement. Yeah. Have you, I think this is an interesting question for me, just over the years working with some of the companies you've mentioned, are there common themes you've observed um, from the various companies and innovators that have proved to be common denominators? to for the company to achieve success you know every startup and every founder that i've come across has uh has some unique qualities uh you know they're all unique individuals so i guess that sort of makes sense the only common determinant of success that i can think of that I've encountered is, uh, you know, founders need to be clear on what they don't know and open to soliciting and processing advice and inputs from experts to help them to refine both the science and technology and the business. Um, yeah, I, that's, I think that's the, the clearest uh, determinant of success. I mean, if, if you if you know everything, you're going to fail. That's, that's good, almost piece of advice right there. Um, so with, I guess we're running a little bit low on time and I, I kind of, I want to ask you two more questions, but um, your career is obviously encompassed being a business executive, um, project alliance manager, a scientist, obviously everything you just mentioned about consultant. Um, being so invested in the ecosystem, even with ENET and 
seeing some of these early stage companies, like there wasn't obviously this many, like you mentioned, when you started your career, what excites you most um, about the biotech industry, but maybe even more specifically the, the Boston biotech life science cluster? Well, you know, the, the, the biotech industry has really grown explosively in the last 20 years. Um, and I've, I've worked with, with uh, cluster organizations in Europe uh, where I've seen it there as well. Uh, but, you know, the most exciting aspect of, of the Boston biotech ecosystem is, you know, just the sheer volume of it. Uh, you know, I mentioned I was just get, when I was just getting started that Vertex was, was, was being launched. You know, that was an inspiring example of what was possible in a world dominated by huge vertically integrated companies. Uh, and it planted a lot of seeds for in, inspiration for, for scientists uh, uh, interested in, in something different that turns out to be entrepreneurship. Uh, but, you know, it certainly wasn't the norm. Uh, today, you know, big companies are increasingly relying on innovations developed at nimble startups to fuel their pipelines. So that's in turn driving the additional growth in the biotech sector. And, you know, now, you know, ambitious young researchers, uh, and they don't need, need, need to be all that young. Uh, so folks in the academic labs today, you know, whether they're in Boston uh, institutions or elsewhere, it's not hard to look at the countless examples of successful innovations that have been developed by entrepreneurs that look and feel just like them. So it's, it's most decidedly not an easy path to take to be an entrepreneur, but there are ample precedents uh, that inspire nascent entrepreneurs. And, you know, the, the, by far the, the, the uh, greatest growth of that uh, uh, sector has been in, in the uh, greater Boston area. And Roger, usually I, I close usually with asking um, whether it's a founder or executive of an early stage company, I guess advice, what the, advice they'd give to someone in their shoes um, when they started as a first time founder. I think you somewhat answered that question. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll, I'll change it up a little bit for you and just maybe just to go in light of what you're doing today, when do you typically engage with companies and founders and is it ever too early or, and at what's the kind of sweet spot stage wise that you do your work? Well, I, I'm, I'm a kind of a natural networker, which is kind of weird because I'm also profoundly introverted. So uh, it doesn't seem like that ought to be the case. But you know, I, I mentioned that the you know that that natural curiosity and interest. Uh, so I'm and I'm always talking to people and fascinated by interesting startup concepts and 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 entrepreneurs' approaches to things. Um, so you know, conversations. Uh, can be all over the place uh, and often can can lead to interesting mentoring relationships. Um, but from from the standpoint of my consulting work in in uh, you know, particularly looking at strategic planning and business development, which which have have become the, the mainstays of my of my consulting business, you know the companies that that are most often the ones where, where I can have the greatest impact are, are uh, you know early stage, 
not too early stage. So companies with some seed financing or 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 perhaps their their uh, uh, Series A financing, uh, where they're looking to grow, but they they don't necessarily need uh, to bring on a high-priced CBO. Um, they need to sort out, uh, you know, continue to refine their their uh, their approach uh, and their business strategy, align their science to their business. You know, that's that's the stage where I can I can really have a, a, a potent act with uh, with companies and help them to uh, get to the next stage. Great. Well, I, we we have tons of early stage founders um, and executives that that listen to this podcast. So I'm glad. Um, Glad you share that and just wanted to say thank you for taking the time, Roger. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and I, I appreciate it and I'd encourage uh, everyone to listen. Um, this Roger at puts on some great events and uh, reach out to him. So yeah, thank thanks, you. Thanks, David. Really great questions. Uh, as always, I enjoy talking with you. Uh,